0: And it's a bunny. I, I don't know why it's a bunny. And I don't know why he has eggs. And I can't explain it either. But, yeah. oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano. And welcome to another edition of RLTP's Off-Road. This week, Tommy Lombardo. Many of you have heard of and probably visited Ristorante Lombardo on Hurdle Avenue. And they're planning a big expansion. We thought, you know, now's a good time to get into the history of the restaurant, where it came from, how it was, Parents and his grandparents started everything with the little club at a different location, and then it became Lombardo's and then it became Ristorante Lombardo. So I went to the restaurant, so you'll hear all sorts of restaurant noise in the background, and you'll hear, you know, trucks going by, and at one point we even had to stop because there was a garbage truck who just was not just picking up garbage, which was parked out in front. Just <laughs> for the longest time, so what we had to do was just, just pause for a second and then cut it, and then we came back, and that's it. Tommy Lombardo, great guy. You'll enjoy hearing his story. But also, we have a continuing segment of RLTP Ensemble at work elsewhere. Now, I never explained to you what the RLTP Ensemble is, and that is that well, several years ago, after Road Less Traveled Productions first got underway, Scott decided to sort of I don't know, show respect for a group of artists in the city and ask them to join the ensemble. So we're all part of the roadless Traveled Productions family. Now, it doesn't mean that we only work there. and It doesn't mean that he promises us work for a particular number of shows per year. But he does try to use as many of the ensemble members as possible. And the ensemble members also work elsewhere. Because, frankly, they're a great group of artists and they're in great demand. So in order to honor them myself, and to show you what's going on at other theaters around town, I thought I would start this Ensemble at Work Elsewhere segment. And this week, we're talking to someone who we've spoken to at great length before, But this woman is under so much demand and is so popular, she's working here, working there, working everywhere. It's Diane Jones. She's a property mistress. She's a property designer. She's a set decorator. She does all sorts of artsy things. So here she is in a brief segment to tell us where she is working and what she's doing elsewhere. We're here to talk about you working elsewhere, but There's so damn many elsewheres for you. It was supposed to be about elsewhere at the Kavanoke, but now I see you're also elsewhere at Toy, and you probably have another one that I don't know about. So how many of you got going on right now?
1: Well, three actually (laughs) in the hopper and one coming up.
0: (laughs) Oh, jeez. All right, so let's talk about the, 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 the one coming up later on is People, Places, and Things. Beauty and the Beast is going to be before that?
1: No, um, Beauty and the Beast, People, Places, and Things are at the same time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Little Women Now, oh, for Pete's sake. Uh, Ah, That doesn't count. Pun intended.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't count because that's for road less traveled. So that's not elsewhere.
1: That's true. They're all at the same time, but I'm able to do it because I can handle all the texts. And the...
0: um, All of the tech... The tech
1: rehearsals. uh, I have, you know, because if I'm going to take... a the
0: designer runs out are on different days.
1: Yeah. If I'm going to take a gig, I've got to physically be able to do everything. And I have a lovely assistant now. Her name is Amber Greer. And she graduated from Buff State, just like me. And she started with me when we reprised Hand to God. And so it's just really awesome to have... You know,
0: I have to honestly think, I I wonder how, why it took you this long. Because... You've been running ragged ever since, well, ever since our first interview, which was like two years ago or three years ago now. Had to be, yeah. Way before COVID, and -hmm. you were busy then, and people who didn't discover you have discovered you. And so now you're, now let's talk about Beauty and the Beast just for a second, because that's going to be a toy production. Correct. But they're doing it as a regular feature, evening performance thing is that correct
1: yes i believe that to be correct
0: which is great because they need to do something they need to keep absolutely their their hand in and god knows toy can't do school time performances yet hopefully next school year will be all different for them
1: right that would be ideal Mm -hmm. this is their inaugural back in after two long years of the pandemic
0: is is it hard making props for a disney show does everything have to look like a cartoon
1: Uh, the answer is no thank goodness um (laughs) It just has to live in the world of those colors, Uh. and it's okay to have fake sausages and (laughs) and have them look a little fake, or, you know, there's a little... But I try to... This
0: is at the other opposite extreme from your film work.
1: Right, which is really nitpicky.
0: I remember you saying things have to be... In theater, they need to be realistic up to mm-hmm. 10 feet or 20 feet or something. Right. And in right. film, they have to be realistic up to 10 inches or even right. closer. And right. so this doesn't have to be realistic at all.
1: No, but it has to be sturdy because musicals are hard on props. Well, the musicals mm-hmm. aren't the actors dancing and singing. Sure, it's, sure. It's a lot. takes a lot of wear and tear. So things like the uh, tankards, mm-hmm. we're going to use French tankards that have a horn on them, so they they look different than the British ones that okay. often are used. Okay. And uh, so that's my little input. <laughs> that's how I get you, my little. You my find your your there.
0: creative outlet one way or the other because okay, <laughs> let's let's do. talk about just for a second people, places, and things. Yes, Is, please. That's that's a modern production. Yes.
1: That is contemporary oh, set, so setting
0: in a uh, contemporary setting.
1: Yeah. It started at the national theater in London mm-hmm. before the pandemic and it's being set, of course, still in London, but Katie Mallinson, who's our director is um, making sure we don't make it exclusively, exclusively London. Cause it's a very um, worldwide problem, addiction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs. So hopefully, yes, it'll be London and British because of a few words that are spoken within the text. Are very British.
0: That connect, yes. That, that are, connect us there, British. and the
1: accents of our actors <laughs> will keep yeah. us there too. But in general, I'm, I've been told it wouldn't be the first time
0: that somebody took a play, a British play, right and just Americanized it, but right. left in all of the Britishisms right. that have no right. friggin' make no sense in America. Well, I'm going right. to take the, the, you know, the lorry now. <laughs> what? What's a lorry? Uh, get on
1: the lift i do like the lift i do like the yes i love the british vernacular so that's all staying in and the actors have accents Mm -hmm. but i just we're trying to keep it very generic and this whole play is in emma's mind which you know i love that stuff Mm. so it's in an actor's mind so yes it's proper Uh, i try not to make it americanized because it still is in london it should just not call out if it's a radio it's a radio
0: yes yes you know we live
1: close enough I do have some leftover newspapers from a trip I took to London. So I don't have to stress about finding newspapers because cool. only I can find a tub in my studio and pilfer earth find five newspapers from a few years ago. No, or,
0: or you'd create them by hand.
1: I would, but this was nice to have the opportunity yes. to actually have them because yes. they're delightful. Those newspapers.
0: Is it going to be like a unit set? And are you also set
1: decorating? Excellent question. It's it's not really a unit set. It's like a room.
0: By unit set, I, I'm talking, for those who don't understand, it looks like a room with the fourth wall missing, so you're Correct. peeking into somebody's room. Right. So there, it, it's not quite that, or it is quite that?
1: Not quite that. There's projections that will mm-hmm. help set the tone. Um, so there's a scrim. It's a play within a play, within a story. So it starts with, uh, it's about an actress who finds herself in rehab. Mm-hmm. And so you're in the hospital, but then quickly you are in a nightclub. And then quickly you are, she starts and she's an acting in a play. So as a prop master, it's very nice. I have two prop tables on the stage. So we actually see the prop tables. One is from the seagull Mm. from the 1800s, because I can never leave the 1800s. They just follow me everywhere. (laughs) And um, that's a complete set, prop set. And then next to it is the props for people, places, and things. But it's really cool if people pay attention you'll note that the actors will pull a few props off the seagull table from that play and use it in oh. the play for people, places, and things, which is a—it's kind of that meta play within a play thing. Ooh. You don't have to notice it, but if you happen to, it's just a little extra Easter egg, as they call it. <laughs> um, and it meant reading the seagull and people, places, and things to get two separate prop tables. So it, there's not a whole lot of shifting. It's furniture will shift, people will shift, costumes will shift. But it's all on the stage, and it's a big whirlwind, and it's really, really an exciting piece.
0: Oh, that it! it you make it sound very exciting. I've been looking forward to this, as as has Alex, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for yeah, she's for playing two her years, Emma. yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she is. She's told me that it's yes. practically the story of her life, and she yes. was so looking forward to doing this because she is a completely recovered substance abuser, and she will tell you this. Yes and uh and is doing great work now with the save the michaels foundation absolutely
1: while you bring that up yeah
0: (laughs) yes please tell me about it because i don't understand how it's working okay
1: so um lorraine our um artistic executive director if i got that right if i Mm -hmm. didn't forgive me lorraine wanted me to make sure to mention save the michaels of the world so it's a local nonprofit, and they're like a clearinghouse is a word i can use people can contact them When they're in need and save the Michaels of the world, we'll make sure they can find the services immediately or as close as possible to immediately to get them help.
0: For substance abuse problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's now called substance use disorder crisis, which is something I learned today, which I think is nice because Mm. it it takes away the substance abuse and makes it substance use disorder. It's kind of like mental health versus mental illness. It's where we, we place our point of view on mm-hmm. these situations that so many of us deal with. So the stable, the Michael's of the world will participate with um, some Thursday talkbacks. They're providing a safe environment uh, with actors and people that work there and other organizations in the Buffalo area that help mm-hmm. with uh, substance issues. So it's a very positive and thoughtful piece.
0: Like a consultation role? Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah. Pamphlets if you need us, here we are. This is what we do. Um, You're not alone. This is a safe place to ask questions and find out what's here in Buffalo to help you, or if you know somebody that needs some help.
0: Will they be Um, involved in any way except, in other words, if we go see the show on a day that uh is not a talkback day, right? will there be evidence of the Save the Michaels Foundation around in some way? I
1: suspect that would be yes, because... Mm As the prop master, I don't know for sure, but I know we're very enthused about partnering mm-hmm. as a company or as the theater, the Kavanoke Theater. D'Youville Kavanoke Theater is the right. proper name now.
0: youville University.
1: Yeah, it's so true. Things I can't changing keep
0: up. so quickly. Really, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Awesome. So, yes, it's a, it's a very exciting and important piece.
0: Very nice. Of the two of them, of the two shows Mm -hmm. you've got Mm -hmm. going on now, and again, we
1: could mention Little Women now that's coming up. Absolutely, sure, because it's happening now too. That's also going to be a modern update, correct? It's Donna Hoke. Donna Hoke is our playwright who um, has dusted off from the shelves the March family and brought them out of the 1800s, yay, (laughs) into contemporary time. But it's tricky. There's still nuances with your props and such in contemporary time. Really? Because there's there's um, the March family had money. Now they are just holding on. Yeah, right. Like so many of just us. Getting it's <laughs> just getting by. Sometimes it's getting by. So how do you present that? So we don't I don't go to the high-end stores or buy the high-end stuff or make the high-end stuff. It's gotta look like we're stretching our dollar. Mm-hmm. But it's it's here in the here and now. Mm. um and so uh, doug wyand is directing that and the cast of little women the cast of beauty and the beast the cast of what's the other one peter uh, people, people, people places, places and is things. Not, they're just lovely they're just they're just i'm always so tickled when you meet the cast somewhere because the directors do such a, a fine job mm-hmm. of putting people where they need to be and and those people bring those characters to life as i've seen you do many a time and it's it's really exciting to help tell that story with being a designer of profit. Yeah, that
0: is very cool. And... Beauty and the Beast and yeah. People, Places and Things are are those are going to be opening at the same time
1: or around um, the same time? I have to yes, all everything's opening within a week of each other. So wow. I would say they're in the same schedule. All three of them are opening. All, all three of them. This is one more than my schedule normally allows, but. <laughs> <laughs> I now have an assistant and
0: hard to say no. It's hard to say no.
1: Well, I have a good friend that made me a t-shirt years ago that says, no, don't do it. Absolutely not. And she said, you need to wear that. Like Superman does like, is it your (laughs) armor? And I'm going to have to get that out. I don't think it fits anymore, but I could, you know, open the scenes up a little. (laughs) and Get that back on again.
0: (laughs) A dear friend of mine, John Biscaglia, Uh uh, who passed away several years ago, used to have a t-shirt that said, right. I can't, I have rehearsal.
1: That's exactly, I love that.
0: And, and uh, <laughs> yours could say, I can't, I'm already doing three shows and I have one assistant, so I'm not sure how much more I can take. So.
1: And I don't know how to say no, but I do. I have gotten better through the years, but it's 30 years of freelance work and it's hard to say no because you always hope there's another gig coming.
0: And it's not just that you're so damn good at it it's that you really love doing it.
1: I really do, and I I love I enjoy the process it's really a cool process and
0: it's it's such an important process. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we talked about this when when I interviewed you separately, but I I don't think people appreciate how significant it is to have a very realistic prop in your hand Mm -hmm. as an actor. But also, right. as a, an audience member, mm-hmm. you sort of take these things for granted. Yep. It's the way it is. But it, believe me, you sit in a show, and the prop isn't right, and it, it just takes you right out of the story. Oh, takes right. you right out of the story.
1: I was uh, watching um, Kill a Mockingbird last night at Shay's. Oh, yes. And it reminded me of David Lundy played the part of the town drunk. Yes. And I had a wallet for him over at the Cav. And mm-hmm. in the wallet, I found a, a picture of a lovely young man from that time period who would fit the description of his child. Mm. And I, I didn't tell him, but I always make sure that now our audience member didn't see the picture of that young man. No. But when but David, David opened so- that wallet, he said, wow, the, the child is in the proper clothing. The child reflects the description of the young man. Mm. And he, he, you know, he purposely thanked me for that. But I, that's why I took Maureen Porter's acting class, because I know it was important to find out what it's like to be on the other side. And I don't want to take an actor out of their place on the stage, and I don't want to take an audience member out either. If, it, if we can help it, we've got to stay in budget and we just have to try our best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and if I may, Peter, I wanted to go back to toy because we mentioned all the other directors at toy. It's, um, Lisa Ludwig is directing and Bobby who? cook is it? Who do you know her? Who's it? Lisa who? Lisa Ludwig. Name <laughs> the so name funny. sounds vaguely familiar. I think you remember her from a couple years before the pandemic. You know, the, the, those of
0: us who are just youngins, who, who <laughs> we have just started out in the business. We don't know these older folk. Oh, you are so funny! You are and, so uh, full of it. No, and of course, they, I know Lisa. I and, love Lisa. And Bobby
1: Cook is director. Uh, I love Bobby Cook. Uh, I know. Wonderful. So it's just going to be
0: just delightful. Oh, that's great! That's great. Yeah. Well, I think I've kept you as long as I'm uh, allowed to. And, it's time um, for
1: tea and cookies on my end of things. So thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> you then. think
1: I'm kidding? I'm not. Oh uh,
0: well, in my end, my tea, my tea is going to be a bit stronger than yours, I believe. That's all
1: right. That that <laughs> happens later this evening. I still have more work to get done, so it's only <laughs> for tea you. for now. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Peter.
0: Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. You too. Mwah. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> so that's Diane Jones, RLTP ensemble member and property designer extraordinaire. Now, Tommy Lombardo, a young man who is third-generation Lombardo taking over Ristorante Lombardo over there on Hurdle. He's going to tell us the whole story and what they have planned for the future here on our LTPs (music) Off-Road. Welcome to Off-Road. Thanks for having me. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Listen, first of all, I I do want to talk about you a little bit, and and I have some very important... Uh, bartending questions to ask. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> because
0: you're, I know you're an expert, wow. but but we're in this uh, restaurant. Was this the original location? I noticed the Little Club is still across the street. That's where it started, right? But was it in that location, the Little Club?
2: Well, the Lombardo's is in the original location that started in 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, still in the same location. The Little Club was a, a bar and restaurant that my grandfather opened and owned Uh, that was downtown on Main Street between Tupper and Goodall. And then in the fall of 2018, we opened our little restaurant, wine bar across the street, and named it Little Club. Sort of in in honor of of that. Very cool. That's very
0: cool. So here's what I want to get at. First of all, how long have you been working? I mean, my dad had a business. We rented televisions in hospitals I started working with him when I was 15 I wasn't even allowed in the hospital how long have you been actually working at the restaurant Mm -hmm. sure discounting the interruption of going to New York City that we'll get to right but how long did you when did you did dad have you bussing tables yeah well I would say
2: when I was about 12 years old I started to help my mother a little bit in the kitchen kitchen. with um, plating desserts that would be like a Friday, Saturday night thing. You know, they would bring me in for a little while because I'm the youngest of three. So, you know, my brother, who's four years older than me, by the time, you know, he was washing dishes by the time he was 14. By the time he was 16, he was here <laughs> every Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. And my sister was also here every Friday, Saturday night when she was 14. So I think they were trying to figure out what the heck they were going to do with me. So, you know, they would cart me into the restaurant Friday, and Saturday night. And then, you know, when I would get a little tired, I would go and take
0: a nap on the linen
2: bags in the back and... Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Now were those the days when everything was mom's recipe? Did it start out uh, all family recipes and things for for the entrees as well as the desserts? I think back in the late
2: '70s, early '80s, yes. But as you know, by the time I was 12, okay, so I was uh, it was 1994 when I was 12 years old. So. I think by then my parents started to kind of look to authentic regional Italian cuisine, mm-hmm. like cioppino, risotto. These are the. Uh, th- this yeah. is the time, like a lot of these menu items started to make their appearance mm-hmm. in Italian restaurants in the United States. Yes. Right. You know. Started, yeah. Before
0: that, it was spaghetti and meatballs, right? Exactly. And lasagna and.
2: And they were with marinara, and, and, and the- they were kind of hip to that. And they and and that's when the, those things started to be introduced. And my mother actually her appearance in the pastry section of the restaurant kind of was in tandem with that. You know, my mother's a very accomplished pastry chef, so she started to, you know, introduce some more contemporary, like departure from the cannoli, some more contemporary (laughs) ideas.
0: The the tiramisu.
2: Right, which still would appear for sure, right? But, you know, along that she would always have, like, some kind (laughs) of uh, unbelievably beautiful and delicious dessert special uh that was kind of like the friday and saturday routine and and yeah i think probably about the mid-90s that's when it started to become a little bit more you know
0: gradually over time more chef driven mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a little and bit less more sp- about spreading out the yeah. the, the menu in, in reaching out to different types types of uh, italian exactly yeah yep. you, you mentioned you had brothers and a sister did they also work here
2: in our teens absolutely yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure joe worked until he was until he had a second born child actually he's a he, he out of college, got a job full time working for MT Bank, and he's been with them ever since. Oh, and he worked part time here just for some extra income. And mm-hmm. then when he had a second child, I think he said, "Okay, I think I'm, <laughs> I think I've had enough." And my sister, she just as soon as she went to college, she went moved to Rochester, and 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 she stayed there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was was there any intent to just I, I've got to get away from the family business? Otherwise, we're all going to end up sure. Yeah, but
2: that's what I did when I was 21 years old. I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah.
0: So, but you had been sort of training with one of the bartenders here with with John, John Spaziano. Spaziano sure. John Spaziano, I mean,
2: before I left when I was 21. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He John had me behind the bar, um, yeah. and
0: and I can see the fascination with that. I love yeah. going to a restaurant and just sitting at the bar and ordering food there because it's just fascinating the way those people work. So you were getting trained by John, mm-hmm. and then at a certain point you said, "Time to stretch out and try things elsewhere." Is that right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, t- to be clear, I d- I, w- I did every job in the restaurant uh, aside from the, aside from cooking, you know, every mm-hmm. front of the house job. You know, I was, I parked cars, I waited on tables, I bus <laughs> tables, I worked the door, I made her D, and in addition, I worked behind the bar with John. And then when I graduated from college, I went to go work in a hotel in Puerto Rico, and I was just it was time for me to just you know leave Buffalo for a while.
0: What was your degree in college? Hotel restaurant man. Hotel. Oh, oh, it was all yeah. right. So then. <laughs> yep. So that's come in very handy. Yeah. So then, so then you go to Puerto Rico, and why there?
2: It just seemed like a this opportunity fell into my lap to to work at uh, at a hotel in their management development program. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just uh, a seaside resort. And uh, oh man! But I ended up only doing it for like eight months and moved to New York City, which is what I thought I, had, which was my original plan. Mm-hmm. And. Um, The heart of the story is is that I was planning on going to New York and I got in a skiing accident. I shattered my right leg. I canceled all my plans. I moved out of my apartment with my friends, back into my home with my parents, back in the house of my parents. And then upon my recovery, escaped to Puerto Rico. (laughs) (laughs) Escaped. I love it. (laughs) Escaped mom and dad. And ended up living, and ended up finding my way to New York and I was just fascinated by New York and yeah. I ended up there anyway what were you pursuing in New York well I didn't know you know I think before did you I broke have
0: connections did you have yeah. friends in, in, in you know I did in the I, restaurant business or in, in through in the restaurant association
2: and my father I had some connections that got me a job to start I, you know before I broke my leg I was like all hotel restaurant management. then I broke my leg and I kind of started to reconsider some things. And I explored, I I did a little bit of uh, UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, improv comedy stuff. Yeah. And I took some acting classes. And I I did that for about, of the six years I was there, maybe about like three, four years I did that for. And then at the end of those four years, I kind of put that down and focused on developing my hospitality career.
0: Yeah. Sorry. So, okay. So I tried that. That was fun. Yeah. And now let's move on to other. Now, did you have an interest in other, like you started in the kitchen with mom, you said. Mm-hmm. Did you have interest in other things like cooking or, or bartending? Or did you really want to just be more in managerial?
2: While I was working in New York, I actually never did work in managerial. I was always like a front of the house server or bartender. Mm-hmm. And I did have interest in working in the kitchen, but I found it very hard to, because I, com- I was an accomplished front of the house professional. Got you. And to kind of put that down and then start at the bottom of a culinary position, it, it, it just seemed impossible for me at the time because, you know, the, that, that's one of, the, one of the biggest problems in the restaurant industry. You may have heard this. And it, is, it, it is a systemic issue is, is that your line level front of the house employees can be very, very
0: well paid. As they should be. That's right. a, that's a skill set dealing with people on a nightly, ba- on a minute by minute basis. Sure, but the but what the pay is not always equitable, right? Mm-hmm.
2: The, you know, because because of the way the labor laws work, it's hard to get that money yes. into the back of the house. I got you. So, you know, for me to go from working in the front of the house to go to the back of the house was just something that I just for a few different reasons, and you know, financially including one of them, I just I couldn't wrap my head around doing it. Yeah. And even when I actually came back here for a different reason, when I was in Buffalo, I did. One, I spent some time in the kitchen. I did work some shifts, uh, maybe like six, seven years ago, in the kitchen. Yeah. But then something, there'd be a fire out in the front of the house that I had to put down. <laughs> what I was doing, and get out here. And it just, it, yeah. it, The ship had sailed. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just for me to learn how to cook at this point in a professional manner. It, it seems like it, it would be very difficult for me to do that right now because I've got to be, I've got to be everywhere. I you would know? think
0: you'd need to have some sort of a a drive to i i need to cook i need to be a chef i need to design sure. meals and entrees i that's what i need to do and that's a it's a whole different artistic you know skill set i couldn't agree more you
2: know and my my drive seems to be connecting with people you yeah. know so and it's not that you can't have both, you know. Mm-hmm. For instance, our chef across the street, Michael Giambra, also known as Gus, he seems to have both of those, you know. So he works really well in an open kitchen. He has the drive to cook, but he also has a, a clear drive to connect with people and uh, interact with them. So he's he's great in the open kitchen we have at the Little Club.
0: And those are my favorite things, to sit at the bar and not only just see the bartender, but to, to see the, the chef and to see what he's doing back there. I, I'm just fascinated by it. I, I love to watch. Okay, bartending question. Sure. What's the difference between a shot and a jigger? <laughs> I ask you this because you know sometimes you're looking at a recipe for drinks and uh, yeah. and I've got these shot glasses at home and they're both about the same size but one but one is very compressed and it has about a half a half of the capacity of sure. the shot glass. So is a jigger what well, you tell me what it so is?
2: So I I think what you're experiencing is some <laughs> some some cocktail recipes and some books that are a little outdated whereas like a jigger maybe in this book was a standard measurement but as we understand it today a jigger is a tool it's a measurement device and you could you can jigger out a half ounce a full ounce an ounce and a half
0: so a jigger is whatever the bartender
2: no predetermined well it's like a measuring cup right Mm -hmm, are you mm -hmm. using a half cup are you using a full cup Right, mm-hmm. so it, when you look at the jigger, it has lines on it, mm-hmm. depending on the style of jigger. Okay. Right, the popular jiggers that are being used today have these taller, longer, narrow ones. I believe they're Japanese in origin, and on the inside they have little lines inscribed. So you fill it up to, oh. you can fill it up to a half ounce. You could fill it up to three quarters, or you could fill it all the way up to a full ounce, and then you flip it over, and then it's bigger. Right. On the and then you have. You know, an ounce and a half so or two me, ounces.
0: You're telling me that it's not a preset, determined one half. A jigger is a half ounce, and a shot is a full ounce. It's nothing like that.
2: Not it, today. Not today. Okay. Maybe in in the book that I have in, from 1972. Know, I think, and that's the thing is, is that <laughs> t- I think today there's a lot of cons- there's more consistency because people kind of have the internet to connect across. <laughs> long distances and they say this is what we're doing you know yeah, yeah. whereas you make a cocktail book uh in 1972 <laughs> this is how we do it over here i don't know how you guys do
0: it over there but this is what a jigger is yeah you know? gotcha gotcha okay that was an aside now, so now you decide to come back from new york what what uh, possessed you to leave new york city the big apple where everything is happening yeah. and you decide to come back to buffalo
2: you know it's uh, it's uh, funny you know i it's kind of one of those things i just woke up one day
0: and just had a gut feeling, I need to go.
2: I, well, it just felt like I didn't have any other. It was that, and also there did not seem to be any other clear path forward. Okay. I tried a bunch of different things out. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel good about leaving my position as a bartender and taking on an entry-level management position in mm-hmm. a restaurant in New York. And I did not feel good about opening a restaurant in New York. And... There was this restaurant here that had been here since 1975, and and I and I knew that you know my father would would welcome me, and uh, it just seemed to be the. Had he made
0: overtures to, to you before that? Sure, he
2: was always really good about not being like not being pushy. Yeah, same way I am with my daughter. You know, you know what I mean?
0: uh, there's a spare room over here. You could come back. Right,
2: <laughs> but clearly I had an opportunity here, yeah. and uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah, And so I just just begun the
0: next chapter of my life so you come back to Buffalo and what role did you fill immediately did you walk in the door and say okay I see some things that need changing and I'd like to be in charge of liquor sales or you know buying or front of house or or, or what happened how did the family uh, greet you and what did they do with you right away I'm sure your
2: well, uh, dad was thrilled to have. Yeah, that. he was thrilled I mean, right away. I mean, to be honest with you, I, he he was three, almost immediately years. like, "Do whatever you want." You know, <laughs> <laughs> beverage was the probably the biggest thing I took over right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, building the wine list and uh, uh, creating a new cocktail program. I focused most of my energies on that, and then and an, an also actually simultaneously is just a style of service in the front of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we start we changed a lot. Of the way we do things in the front of the house, so uh, you know, I I pretty much focused wholly on front of the house operations and the beverage program, and it took probably maybe a solid two years to really get the culture to start to shift. Mm -hmm. But then once it it, had been
0: ingrained for since
2: 1975, but once it did, it's just something. It's just moment. It's like turning a plane around, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, but it's really it, hard
0: to do, but it worked- But it worked,
2: you know, and now we've got just such a great team, such great momentum. And not not, not that there was anything wrong with the way we were doing things back then. No, it's just that,
0: not.
2: you know, I had seen some things that would benefit mm-hmm. the entire team. And
0: Yeah, you'd seen a lot yeah. down in New York. Sure. And, well, in Puerto Rico, too, I'm sure, and yeah. and came in with some ideas. And were you greeted with enthusiasm I, I, I don't well, want. Some, I don't want yeah, to some, though. Of yeah, course, I want to make it sound like somebody would no. just sit oh,
2: I mean, absolutely, there was definitely one hundred percent. I mean, there were some staff that were like, "That's not going to work, no way." <laughs> I remember our chef at the time. I was like, "You know, we got to get you off the line, and you know, you should, you should expedite a couple nights a week." Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes in a, in a restaurant like ours, a chef is actually not cooking; he's standing on and in, inspecting the plates as they come out. Sure, right?
0: Quality like, control, basically.
2: He just told me straight base. There's no way that's ever gonna happen here, because in his mind <laughs> we couldn't we wouldn't be able to afford to have that extra person in the kitchen doing that. Oh. But I, I, it felt like a year later we were doing it. You know what I mean? I just I, I just think that um,
0: there's a process. I'm sure that they change have. is
2: difficult for people. You sure. know, and they don't. It, myself included, you know, we all have a bl- we all we all have these blind spots, mm-hmm, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So you went from uh, beverage and so on, and and mm-hmm. you know handling that, and moving up to because you've got several titles now that we'll get into. So that what was the next thing you tackled? You know, me and my father, to a fault, are not especially organized
2: people. We definitely fly by the seat of our pants in, in, in certain regards. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got our fingers on everything. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could point to a specific time where I got a new title. You know, it's just, <laughs> you, you know, pretty much from day one, you know, he introduced me as his partner. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: Yeah. And to this day, I still do the beverage program here at Lombardo's. And act as the general manager for the front of the house operations. Across the street, we actually hire. We have a beverage director who's doing an excellent job. Her name is Erica Talbot. And it would be too much for me to do both places. Sure. Uh, in addition to acting as the the GM here and the front of the and the beverage director, I'm also overseeing both operations. You know, I suppose as a
0: you could you could say as a CEO. Have you given your father the opportunity to step back and? Catch his breath. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. I mean, he was what is it thirty thirty eight years or something. He was running the place basically by himself and and doing much of what you've taken out of his responsibilities.
2: You know, it, it, succession is a um, it's a it's a process. It's not an event. Mm-hmm. You know, and the amount that he works is is has a lot to do with his comfort level. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for it, it's hard for any person to just be running everything by themselves. For, you know, forty years, and then, yeah. and then you just can't expect that person, to, especially if it's their their family restaurant they started, you know. So I think we're probably about five, six years into that process of him slowing down and, and going into semi-retirement, and every year he he relaxes more, he takes more time off. Good for him. And you know, he learns to let go, and we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about how to how to manage that
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: running a family business is very hard think about running a family business is like it could be it could be one of the most emotionally challenging hard things on one side but then on the other side no matter what you have family behind you you know what i mean right, like you right. know you yeah, know that no matter what they
0: have to love you one way or the other right, Tommy that you're not
2: <laughs> going to be hung out to dry sure if you really get into a pickle right but on the flip side it can be harder to communicate than it can be with you know a professional partner right, right. because there's just a lot of well there's blood there's a lot you know there's a lot my j- mother used jammed to say, up in there you know, you know
0: my, my italian mother used to say yeah. well he's not blood <laughs> you know I mean, but in this case he's blood so no matter what yeah. you've got it deal with him maybe with a, a little gentler hand and and also he's got to understand that you know your blood but you, some of your good ideas he's got to give you a little bit more than he ordinarily would
2: yes and to his credit and and to my benefit he's been through this he's second generation
0: right right it was yeah. your grandfather yeah. who started the whole thing and
2: and, and my grandfather surely <laughs> wasn't easy on him so yeah
0: but well that was in 1947 that they started the Na- the 1970.
2: That, yeah, 1947. This little Club, 1975. Lombardo's. 75 was yeah.
0: Lombardos. Lombardo's. Yeah. It was it just Lombardos then? When it was the concrete block building? Yeah. When did it become Restaurante Lombardos? Uh, when they added the room
2: we're sitting in on. Okay. They yeah. <laughs> they that did was this, the
0: previous remodel.
2: The, the room we're sitting in right now was done in like, around like 94, 93, mm-hmm. um, and then in 2017 and in 2013, we've done little. Little remodels here and there. Tweaks here and there. Here and there. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, we redecorating, you know, every couple of years we always do something.
0: The restaurant business is one of the hardest businesses because you're constantly competing against the, the new guy who opened up over here and the new guy over there. So you have to keep things fresh. Sure. You got to keep the look fresh. You got to keep the menu. How how else has the menu uh, evolved through all these years? Because now you've got, you've had several chefs since mom, <laughs> you know, and, and does each chef sort of get his own? get to put his own mark on things get to get to put his own like fingerprints on things absolutely yeah yeah there I mean, are some staples that that always stay there are
2: same. but even <clears throat> even the staples eventually go hmm. because things don't stay the same forever you know
0: <laughs> and to be fair any guy who comes in is gonna come in with his own ideas and uh, yeah. how, how many chefs have you had can you you don't have to give me names but you think you've well, had I we think
2: we've had to be honest with you we have not had a lot of turnover so since I was a kid you know the first first chef I remember having here was his name was Michael Giangrosso and he still comes in here every now and then. <laughs> this kid, his son and his uh, daughter-in-law come in here a lot. We've had five chefs. And the current one is Eric. Oh, six. And the current one is Eric Nessa. Eric Nessa. Yeah. 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 With the most turnover in the last couple of years, which seems to be a pretty common trend. You know, every time I look at a resume lately, they've had like six jobs in the last two years because people, you know, oh, well, places close, open Oh, the close. last couple of years, you know it I mean? just, everything yeah. has just been... T- t- Everyone's, it's, th- it's like musical chairs, it feels like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, the music stops and they sit down. And, oh, there's not a chair here. Okay, let me go find another chair somewhere else.
0: <laughs> and does every chef come in, you know, blazing flames? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to change this, and I'm going to add this? Or do they all sort of blend in and gradually make their... Well, of course, everybody's different. You know, we've,
2: yeah. yeah, we've definitely had uh, recently had a chef like that, but then, you know, we have others that are, kind of stand back and kind of want to just observe, and you know, which I appreciate that, mm-hmm. and you know, listen, yeah, right, yeah, first yeah. Uh, before uh, <laughs> and, and, and see what's going on before they start to change a bunch of stuff. You know, Eric is so great in that he really takes his time to put a special on the menu or a new menu item on. And in the past, I've, you know, I've perhaps looked for some more changes a little bit more quickly. But man, when he puts something on, it's so good. Does it's, he
0: bring it to you and go, Tommy, try this? Uh, yeah, <laughs> at times.
2: Sure. That's, sure. Absolutely. That's got to be exciting. It's just he nails it. I mean, they're clearly just extremely well composed, really well thought out dishes. and yeah. Our guests are just loving every every bite of them. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Okay, so I think it's time to talk about the expansion because, sure. and I saw the, I've saw I've seen video of it, you, have you guys on TV. Your dad was there uh, putting the shovel in the ground and, and so on. So let's talk about it. Right, right now you employ maybe close to fifty people,
2: between both places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here I'd say we're about we're about high 30s and then across the street we've got about uh 12. Mm-hmm. and you do you
0: expect that this because I'm, I'm looking out at it here will we employ more people yeah yes and obviously the capacity of the place will go up to some degree as well right <laughs> to it or a do degree. you expect to just spread out more and just offer more well talk about what the what the the purpose of this expansion is so technically perhaps it's
2: not an expansion we are we're putting a structure over the existing patio that we use all summer long we're enclosing a space already in existence this is a convertible space so we'll be able to it's still going to be very open air you know one of the anytime we do some kind of a remodeling there's always a a subset of our clientele that gets really nervous because they love the thing that we're changing sure
0: you that, know? that's the thing with change <laughs> again you know right
2: and you know there's um many of our guests you know think of our patio as just it's just this beloved space that they don't want us to screw with and i um we've thought long and hard about how to maintain the atmosphere out there and i think they're really going to be happy with it and what it allows us to do is you Peter I want to make a reservation on the patio three weeks in advance. I can put you out there, and that's where you're sitting, no matter what the weather does. Right.
0: right.
2: Before I'd have to wait, keep hold your table inside, wait to really make sure that the weather's going to be good, and then I can move you out. I see. Uh, uh, We've given when you say enclosed,
0: I'm sorry. When you say enclosed, you mean completely enclosed, or are going to be the windows, the sides open up? The sides open
2: up. Exactly. The sides open up, and uh, it's going to feel very open air. The, and the and the ceilings are very high, and they also have these beautiful... It's got this sawtooth ceiling with skylights that face to the north, so mm-hmm. there won't be any like direct sunlight to worry about, but it'll still be a lot of natural light coming natural through. Natural light, yeah. And there'll be heated floors and radiant natural gas heaters above you. And, and we heated think, floors. Yeah, we wow. think that... You know, if the weather is above 40, 45 degrees, that's going to be comfortable to eat out there. Wow. And we're hoping to get use out of that space March through November. We could have completely enclosed it and, and had, like, windows that slide open, kind of like you see it like, Costas or something like that. But we also didn't want to, again, like I said, we know how beloved the
0: patio is. Right. In the sense that you're outdoors. Yes. You close it all off. You're not really outdoors now, anymore. No, now you've got in another indoor space. And we're very busy in the summer. Mm-hmm. Our patio is a huge
2: draw, so we didn't want to lose that. We wanted to, we wanted to retain that. Uh, so I think what we have right now is kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, obviously, we'll see how it all looks when it's all said and done, but I'm super <laughs> I'm super happy with the renderings and what our architect, Bill Hovey, has been able to c- put together for us.
0: Has this been a guy who's worked yeah, on, on previous renovations? Yeah, he's done everything for us, yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. Really talented guy. So... so uh, I, everything's going to stay the same in terms of the restaurant, the menu, and so on. You're not opening up a, like an adjunct to the restaurant itself where, oh, this is going to be our fast food, or this is going to be our bar food. This is going to be the full yes. restaurant same, menu. Same menu, same experience. So, But we're doing three
2: things. We're adding the three-season structure over the existing patio. We're redecorating the main dining room that we're sitting in right now, mm-hmm. which, is in, in, you know, which is due for our refresh. And we're also going to completely redo the entire facade of the restaurant. Okay. So when you stand outside, the facade of the restaurant is going to look completely different. So the Roman
0: columns and everything, that'll be gone? Or, Those
2: will or, be gone. Oh, they'll be gone, okay. Yeah. The columns will replace them, but they're going to be replaced with uh, concrete columns that look a little bit more like they belong, you know, like a real material. Modern. okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And the building, the color of the building is going to change. The sign out front is going to change. Just a lot of things I've been that have been on the wish list for a long time <laughs> we're we're finally getting them done so will there be a bar really out happy there
0: about will it. there be a bar no just what? all seating yep just cool. just like we do in
2: the the summertime do so get if you come of, and had go dinner on the patio in the summer uh, same seating layout mm-hmm. right it's just going to be instead of that big umbrella we had over you there's going to be a, t- a really high roof with skylights in it over you wow
0: that's good. do you get much of a bar crowd here like do people like me come in and just sit at the bar and oh, eat oh yeah all the time oh yeah, all see, all I time. love that. I, once I discovered that, because I'm a single guy, yeah. and I, there's something about going to restaurants and sitting over in the corner by sure. yourself. It's it's almost a little it's pathetic. It's such a great
2: community thing to do. You strike up a conversation oh, at I the bar it. with the bartender, with the people sitting next to you.
0: hmm it's a blast. And as I said, I love watching all the yeah. activity going on behind them and, and, and so on. Is the, is the new space going to reflect some of your own tastes in, in terms of decor and so on?
2: Not necessarily. You know, the thing, oh, another thing I've learned about this space and, that, and, and the little club is that, you know, you, the little club we designed, it reflected my decor. But then once it's opened, mm-hmm. then it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Right, then you just kind of try and listen to what the place needs. I, I want to ask you about the it's, club It becomes its, its own. The, like so, all the decisions we made here at Lombardo's mm-hmm. were in looking at what we know about Lombardo's, what direction we want to take it, and what does it need. Like, I what see. do we need to feed it to thrive? Mm-hmm. And I kind of try to set my own personal decor choices aside and really just like what's going to fit in with the with the whole restaurant. You know, what do people love about it? One of the things that people love about Lombardo's is that when they go there, it feels warm, and it feels like they're in this like, warm, inviting space. Mm-hmm. So we use that to think a lot about, okay, let's keep going with that. You know, We want to keep that feeling alive.
0: Was the intention with the Little Club to fill a niche that uh, an elegant restaurant like this... Because it's on a different level, if you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You know, This is an elegant sort of dining out sort of place. Is, was the Little Club intended... I don't mean the original one that grandpa started, but I mean the one across the street that I'm looking at right now, was that one started to sort of fill a niche for something more casual, more, what was the intention with that?
2: My intention, my problem that I was trying to solve was I felt like there was nowhere for me to go in the city and have a really great glass of wine, a really great bottle of wine that wasn't a white tablecloth restaurant.
0: Oh, okay. And
2: I felt like, you know why do I have nothing wrong not nothing wrong with a way to no, the no. restaurant, but what if I just want to go and sit in a casual setting and listen to some more lively hip music and a more vibrant upbeat setting and drink a nice bottle of wine I see and so that's why so that's what we that was the reason we opened it and then maybe about six months in we realized that we weren't quite there yet we need the food was missing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now we have a talented chef and a talented team in the kitchen and I think it's one of the best restaurants in the city no kidding the food that they're putting out is unbelievable (laughs) right so now you sit in this great it's a really cool atmosphere Mm -hmm. it's a very uh, energetic and stimulating atmosphere I hate to to say the
0: word but is it young youthful would a guy like me feel uncomfortable walking in there I don't think so (laughs) do you
2: like good food and good wine (laughs) I sure do then no absolutely not Absolutely. There's people your age that dine there all of the time. You know who dines there? People your age that appreciate, how should I say this? Um, you know, the, the the cuisine over there has a little bit of a European tilt. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of a Mediterranean tilt. Every now and then there's like some curry or something like that. A uh, lot of local produce, a lot of local meats, some offcuts, a lot of things like anchovy, whole fish head on, things like that. Mm. And you know, the people your age that like that tend to be like first generation American, oh. you know, they have like a ethnic background or European background. They used to like eat this food, like food like this when they're a kid, you mm-hmm. know, they, they scarf up the anchovies. They love the fish with the head on <laughs> or, or they're really accomplished cooks mm-hmm. that that's another thing I hear is like, I don't get food like this ex- unless I cook it at home and I can't even cook some of this stuff. So that's why I come here. Mm-hmm. You know who, um, one of one of the best compliments that we've had over there is the relatively frequent presence of Joel and Dee Dee okay, from the Rue Franklin mm-hmm. and Mark Goldman. Yes, that demographic of people seem to really enjoy what we're doing at the Little Club, and they're really big supporters of it. I see. And also, there's a younger crowd that likes the. Likes the upbeat music and it's not like it's not blaring you know you can still sit and
0: have a that was my next question because old guys like me you don't want to sit there yelling across the table
2: (laughs) and i don't want to either right i I have a hard time hearing myself (laughs) right and we have acoustic uh tiles so you know it's not
0: what's the capacity 40 about 40 Mm
2: -hmm. and we're actually going to be expanding we're going to be adding an, an addition on the back
0: oh so you'll expand the kitchen back
2: and well, no, another, we'll have another seating area in the back. Oh, like and we're, a, more
0: of a patio. Uh,
2: and this is all kind of undecided, mm-hmm. but what we're working on is potentially adding a pizza oven in the back ah, and more seating. I see. And it'll open up to a little patio and garden in the back. Okay. Because we have a big, huge backyard. Um, so, yeah, we're going to put some more seating back there uh, because, yeah, it is a little club. And we, we're pretty much sold out every Friday and Saturday because <laughs> we don't have many seats to go around.
0: So it's, it's uh, reservations as well.
2: Uh, yeah, definitely recommend reservations, yeah. uh, okay. like, because, you know, as I said, we just don't have many
0: seats available to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to go uh, just very quickly go, go back to this, the patio renovation being done here, the addition being put on the patio. Uh, you, you think that it will be operational in the late fall and the early spring, but not really in the dead of winter. Is that fair? Yeah. Or you're just not sure. yet? it. I guess it depends on how mild a winter you have. Exactly. But you're thinking down that's to thinking. down to the mid 40s outside. I, and like I said, hoping.
2: Th- I I don't know for sure, but that's what that's
0: my expectation. And you just don't know how many people will be enthused about sitting out there. Because right. Not I thought about sure.
2: that. Like, how am I gonna um, how am I gonna sell this to people? It's mm-hmm. a, how am I gonna you know, in March 15th when it's 40 degrees outside, how am I gonna say I don't I have a table in our more winter Garden, I suppose. I'm I'm I am <laughs> i i have not figured out what we're going to call it yet, right? And I think it, it'll like anything, it'll, it, it'll take a little time to to get the word of mouth out and to develop a following. But you know, if we make it beautiful and cozy enough, I think that it will have there'll be a lot of people that want to sit out there. And there's still a lot of people that aren't comfortable dining inside. That's true. And I think that will get a lot of uh, business from that group of folks that want to eat in a restaurant like this but would prefer to be outside
0: hmm. okay you
2: know there's still there's still a few people no there's i still, hear there's you. still a, you know there's still a subset of people that are are just a not little quite. squeamish
0: about yeah yeah i understand i understand So it's going to make a a complete change on the frontage facing Hurdle. Yeah, and it also brings the building right up to the street, which Mm -hmm. I love, Mm -hmm. right?
2: It just further activates the walkability of Hurdle Avenue. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. I'm almost finished. (laughs) I promise you. Yeah, no, it's fine. Tell me, you sort of hit upon it a little earlier. Why has Ristorante Lombardo been so successful for all these years? Is it because you are willing to change and roll with the punches and, and remodel and redesign and refurbish and, and sort of stay up with the times? I mean, well, yeah, there, there are many restaurants, as you know, sure. that have come and gone the and an- come and gone.
2: The answer to that question is the number one reason would be relationships with our customers, right? Of course, we need to continue to update and stay relevant Relevance, to what's happening around We need yeah. to deliver an excellent product and mm-hmm. i believe that we do that and that's what allows us to thrive but if there are periods where things aren't going well for whatever reason because of the economy or because all of a sudden there's a ton of competition mm-hmm. and you know we're having a hard time attracting customers we've got the best clientele, and my father did such a great job at building relationships with them that they've always come out to support him mm. and feel like they're coming home. Like family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's just kind of, a, you know, one of the things I talk about to my staff is, you know, we can't underestimate the value of creating a emotional response from our guests. and In other words, creating a memory. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's do something at the table that's gonna be memorable. What's unique about the experience the guests had? Did you turn them onto a new wine that they never had before, right? Did you, were they kind of deciding between two items and they ordered one, and then you sent them a taste of the other one? Mm. You know, did you, I, I don't know what it's it was. It's that little
0: extra touch, it's that right? little friendly something. bit did of-
2: you, you know, we've been making greeting cards out for our guests when they celebrate their birthday or their anniversary or some kind of momentous life occasion, we have it on the table and they sit down. Oh, that's wonderful. It's one of the most impactful decisions. One of the most impactful things we've ever done. I, I can't tell you how happy it makes people, the response we've gotten from our guests. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, right. Yeah. This makes so much sense. Let's just <laughs> keep doing things like this. So that when y- you are with your partner or your friend at home and she asks you, where do you wanna to go to have dinner tonight? We gotta be in the running. You gotta be in the running. Pop in, we, let's pop into their head. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, we go to Lombardo's, obviously, right? Let's of Lombardo's, right? You know what I mean? So how many times have you had a friend say, hey, where do you wanna to go to dinner tonight? You can only think of three places. right? right. are like, God, there's a million places I wanna go, and I can't think of any of them. Because <laughs> that's just like how our brains work sometimes, right? right? And I just wanna always be one of those three places. Gotcha. And creating the relationships with people and helping create memories in the space so that you know, when you think of a restaurant, we come to mind or when a, a visitor to Buffalo asks you for a restaurant recommendation, then we come up in conversation. Sure. That, I think, is one of the keys to our success. Now, you can't do it without great service and great food. That has to be there. But right. I, I'm suggesting that maybe even great service and great food is not even enough i'm sure you're right you know uh, that might not coming even, to the door and yeah. they
0: know you yeah uh, or they recognize you or even greet you by name but i won't
2: even and, and i've heard that a lot oh you got you know you're the owner you're at the door that's important mm-hmm. i'm suggesting that might not be the case and uh, because as long as the you know, low turnover is key we have the same staff, right? If, you know, if I can, if I can keep the same staff for a long time, and you can develop a relationship with the person that I usually have working in the door, or with the server that is taking care of you, then it it might be okay if you don't see me, or if I just check in on you mm-hmm. at some point throughout the meal, which I try to do because I'm not always at the front door because I'm across street at the little club. Sure. But if if the staff buys into this idea, this culture of we're going to connect with our guests and you know welcome them into this space like their home mm-hmm. then the weight of that won't be on my shoulders right you know which is a little bit of a departure from the way my father ran things you know he was at the door every <laughs> night every single night yeah and what i'm suggesting is is that maybe we can
0: well you've extended yeah, it so that right. the whole staff is a member of the family, not just uh, you know, not just you at the door, right. but that everybody has that same sort of friendly attitude. That's what we're aiming for. Yeah. You, you have a young son. I, I do. do. Yeah, yeah. Vito. Yeah. yeah. Is he going in the restaurant business? Oh, I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. I,
2: you know, I hope I hope to be uh, as my father was. Not not. I hope not
0: to pressure him. Well, let me yeah. ask you this: Would you? Yeah. Would would you be happy to have him do that, or would you say? It's sort of like people who are in show business. I don't ever want my son on stage. I don't want my son in the oh, movies. Really? So w- w- would you be happy if he followed in your footsteps, or would you say it's too t- it's too hard? I want him to be. <laughs> I want him to have a a, I, a, a less dramatic yeah. and traumatic
2: life. Yes, it's a really hard business, but I'm also a like obnoxiously eternal optimist, <laughs> and I do believe that if you if you play your cards right, you can be in this business and it cannot be too draining. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I struggle with that. I try, I'm trying to hit the work life balance thing Mm -hmm. and work wins a lot, you know? Uh, but I, you know, I, but I see a future there where we can, we can figure out a path forward where he could be in this business and not kill himself. But it's, that's totally up to him. Of course. You know what I mean? And I would, I would be proud of him no matter what he decided to do. Good
0: for you. you know. Okay, so here's the, here's the last question. I have a thing, uh, this is called off-road, and I always like to ask my guests an off-road question. Sure. So if you had taken a different road, uh, and I know that you've already said that you'd know you you'd be a rock star, a rich rock star, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, what, it, would that have been a road you would have taken if you hadn't gone into the restaurant business? Well. Or what would been? What, what Whether
2: it would have been music or, or acting or, or comedy.
0: Performing in some Performing.
2: way? I, I do like to perform. I like to dance. I like to perform. I like to sing. I like to... Yeah, probably. Uh, well, way.
0: except for UCB, did you have other uh, opportunities where you did that? Like, were you in a band I was point, in a, like
2: or? A, I was in a cover band for a couple, for like six months, mm-hmm. you know. As a singer? as a singer and rhythm guitar, uh-huh. and uh, that was just so much fun. And we and it was such a short period of time, but man, I learned a lot from these guys. I you know, I was a total amateur, and I was working with this guy who was like, yeah, come over to my house and, and sing. And he was a, uh, extremely talented. Yeah. He played um, kick drum, hi-hat, and, and bass guitar. Oh. And like, broke down all these songs that I could sing. And he was like, here, you, this. And then he had his friend Paul, who's a really talented lead guitarist, play with. and we played all of these, like, country rock and rockabilly songs. <laughs> and we just had, and the name of the band was The Nonchalance. And we did a couple live shows. <laughs> and it was like. And you this, had a blast. I just thought it was the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. And, uh, you know, it just, it just didn't work out that way. It was just totally fine. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I the road perhaps, not taken would yeah, have been uh, rock star. Perhaps. <laughs> I don't know if it have been a rock star. Or whatever. Hey, talk about Who hard knows? life. Tried being a musician.
2: Yeah, I especially
0: can't, over the past couple of years. I can't imagine. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah exactly. So I don't. Man, I, I've got nothing to complain about. That's for damn sure. So yeah. that
0: would be. There's nothing else that. Nothing else that. You don't want to be like a volleyball coach or something. Yeah. I don't think so.
2: <laughs> I think I've. I've definitely cut out for this. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Tommy Lombardo, it's been a pleasure. I'm so glad. I, I can't believe you sp- spent this much time with me, but I, I really appreciate you so Absolutely. On the I'm so to
2: glad to, to have been able to do it with you.
0: So I appreciate it. Yeah,
2: thanks, Pierre. Thanks appreciate very much.
0: It. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Well, no, I don't know. I don't know if they ever planned on having bunny eggs or chicken eggs. and Oh, never mind. Tommy Lombardo, there's a young man who's got a lot going on and will no doubt be successful. Talk to him for five minutes and you can tell this guy's got a lot on the ball. And, oh, here we go again. Must be coming up on summertime because it sounds to me like there's another special project in the works that you'll hear more about later on. And with the clock ticking, that I guess that just tells us that it has something to do with history again. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, on the next episode of Off-Road, we have the delightful playwright Donna Hoke, whose play, Little Women Now, opens on April 21st at Road Less Traveled Theater. So get your tickets for that. We'll be talking to Donna all about how she adapted this great book into a modern play. It should be interesting. And the play itself should be a lot of fun. That's it for this episode of RLTP's Off-Road. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with another great interview in a couple of weeks and another great, great RLTP ensemble member at work elsewhere. And this time, it's another one who's got a million irons in the fire. We'll have all that for you in a couple of weeks here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano.